We are looking this season at the Christmas story through the lens of the Beatitudes. Uh, We are considering the familiar tale through what Jesus said about blessing, about who are really the blessed ones and how they are blessed. I want to do that once again today by looking with you at um, some familiar characters in the Christmas story. We've looked at Mary. We've looked at Joseph. Today I want to consider with you the shepherds. On my Christmas card at home is a lovely picture of the shepherds. They are rock-jawed men, George Clooney-like in their regal bearing, in perfectly pressed, laundered robes, staring out regally at their recently washed, shampooed sheep. (laughs) And they look nothing like the original reality. Shepherds in ancient times were at the very bottom of the social ladder. They were not glamorous people in any way. In fact, when Jesus speaks in John chapter 10 and identifies himself as the good shepherd, the reason he has to add that adjective is because the common conception of shepherds was so abysmally bad. Shepherds were regarded as among the most dishonest, lazy, and dirty people of their society. People frequently accused them of grazing other people's lands, which they sometimes did, of taking some of the, uh, the produce of the flock, which, by the way, didn't belong to them. Most shepherds were hirelings. Jesus' teaching makes that clear. They simply were working for a landowner who actually owned the sheep, and yet they'd be accused of taking the new lambs that would come in the spring and selling them off and pocketing the profit and never admitting to the owner that they had done this. Shepherds were so mistrusted, in fact, that rabbis routinely warned their congregations, don't buy milk or wool or lambs from those guys. It's probably stolen goods. Shepherds were viewed as so dirty that they were ceremonially unclean. They were not permitted to attend public worship. They were not welcome in the synagogue worship. They were furthermore regarded as so untrustworthy in character, they were not permitted to serve on a jury. They were barred from giving testimony in court. Inadmissible evidence was the testimony of a shepherd. Shepherds were so low in the social system of ancient Israel that we read this particular commentary on Psalm 23 from the time period in which Jesus was born. There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Nothing more disreputable than being a shepherd. Are you getting the picture? Shepherds were not these glamorous people we see in our Christmas depictions. They weren't the lords of the pasture. They were the lowest of the low. They were peasants. And at the low end of the peasant scale at that, they were poor people. They were poor in substance, and they were poor in spirit. And if you think about it, you would be poor in spirit too if you were one of them. Imagine growing up as the child of a shepherd family. Dad, 
Why do people hold up their noses or literally hold their noses when they go by us on the road? Mom, how come people never look us in the eye when they see us? You would know if you were a shepherd that as far as this world is concerned, you're a nobody. And it would, it would get to your spirit. These are the people that we are talking about when we read in the Bible, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. This, however, is where the Christmas story is so amazing and, I, and actually somewhat outrageous if you think about it in light of these realities. Because, you see, it was to this particular sort of person that the good news of Christmas first came. The Bible declares that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And you understand their terror, don't you? If you spent your entire life with people looking down on you and judging you and condemning you for who you are, what are you going to feel when somebody completely pure and mighty in power is standing or towering above you? Are you not going to feel terrified? And so they did feel terrified. But the angel, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people, you included. For today in the town of David, a Savior, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. If you were a shepherd hearing this news, this would have to be your first response to that. What? A Messiah, the Christ, the long-awaited Savior, born to us? You must have the wrong number. You must be looking for the Pharisee family or, or the Herod household. I mean, we don't get special deliveries at this address. <laughs> I mean, have you looked? I mean, we're the shepherds. I mean, certainly not a package like you're talking about. Maybe you ought to try the Levites down the road. But the angel is undeterred. And the messenger doesn't go away or give up. And he says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, there's been no mistake here. This package, 
this grace of God, this Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, has come for you, for you. And then suddenly these people who were regarded as so dirty and unworthy that they were not welcome, you remember this, at at any kind of public worship in the synagogue, suddenly these people find themselves at the center of the greatest outdoor worship service in all of history. That's ironic, isn't it? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, and the air all around and all above the shepherds is, is... packed out with these mighty angelic warriors whose voices sound like a sonic boom shaking the air and the earth and they are praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And just as suddenly as the heavenly host had appeared, the thought had to begin to penetrate the minds of at least a few of those guys. What if, and this was a crazy contrary thought to anything they'd ever experienced, what if the world's messaging to us was wrong? What if it turns out that it's not just the rich Pharisees and the religiously impressive Levites and the beautiful and powerful Herods that are the blessed ones? What if it actually turns out that we are people on whom God's favor rests. What if that's true? And longing, I suppose, to find out if that most unlikely idea was indeed the truth. The Bible says that when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go on over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They left the flocks behind. They hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then I love this part. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what shepherds said to them. Are you getting this? These guys were a class of people whose testimony wasn't admissible in court, and God chose them to be the first witnesses in the greatest case in all of time. The one in which God would lay the case for his love down in human flesh in which the sins of the world would be tried and Christ would pay the penalty for them and you and I would be set free. God chose shepherds to be his first witnesses. 
And thus the Bible says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, I want to invite you to think about this with me. Really, this is an amazing story. I want to invite you to to really consider what this story has to say to you and to me here in the 21st century. And especially in light of what Jesus said to us in the Sermon on the Mount when he declared, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Luke chapter 6, that's just what it says. Blessed are the poor. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, the big idea that I want to go after with you today is that reading the story of Christmas, that particular beatitude, and indeed a lot of the rest of the scriptures, forces us to the conclusion contrary to the messaging of the world, that being poor isn't all bad. That being poor in spirit is not something we should run away from because being poor in the sense that I'm going to talk about is actually the road to profound blessing. Now, I want to issue a couple of disclaimers at the front end so I don't get letters and so that you don't shut me down and shut out what I'm going to say to you. I can't stress enough that I do not mean to romanticize poverty here, okay? We wouldn't be feeding my starving children if I thought poverty was a good thing or the Bible said it was uh, an altogether good thing. Um, I am not trying to uh, excuse us from the call to care for the poor, to provide what we can to lift them from the grinding conditions so many of them are living in. Nor do I mean on the other side to demonize wealthy people, to suggest that there aren't uh, plenty of people with substantial resources that aren't out there blessing people all the time and doing the great work of God. I also want to say that there are some wicked and lazy poor people just as there are some wicked or lazy rich people. But the Bible seems to say nonetheless, and I have not been able to escape it in any of my reading of these texts, that there are certain spiritual advantages to poverty. There are certain spiritual advantages to being more like the shepherds than being like the Pharisees and the Herods of this world or the Levites. And that's what I want to think about with you today and where this reality may connect with our lives. Are you with me? Are you still going to hang in? There's a wonderful author named Monica Helwig who kind of helps us to see this. And she identifies a number of specific characteristics of poor people that are worth thinking about today. And I would just say that in traveling, particularly around the developing world, and I do that a lot, I am impressed with how true this is, these things that she identifies. I want to just hit 
a handful of them with you. For one thing, the poor tend to accept dependence and interdependence a lot more easily than the non-poor do. In other words, they know that alongside of their own personal actions, they need the actions of other people, the gifts of other people, and of God himself for life to go well. In other words, they are not idolizing independence. Anything like we see happening in areas where there's wealth in substance or spirit uh, in the main. Secondly, the poor have less of an exaggerated sense of their own importance. Okay, they are not inflated in their thoughts about themselves. There is often a much greater humility. Actually, it's a disarming humility. When, I've, when I travel, I, I'm touched by this. And they, there's a transparency and openness of heart, a humility in them that is really convicting and very, very beautiful. Thirdly, the poor tend to root their security less in things than in relationships. In the last couple of years, I've been in Africa and Asia and, and South America. They, the poor I meet there hold so much more loosely to things, and they cling so tightly to the relationships in their lives. Um, fourthly, the poor are better at distinguishing between luxuries and necessities. They, they have no trouble seeing the difference between the two. They don't go around obsessing on their wants uh, they focus what, on what they really need. Fifthly, the fears of the poor tend to be more realistic and less neurotic, it seems to me. Um, they, they have already learned the hard way that you can go through a lot in this life. You can have a ton taken away. You can suffer mightily and still be okay. You know? And still find lots that is blessed about life. And so their fears about what's coming are a lot less neurotic than, than, than sometimes the non-poor experience. Sixthly, when the poor hear the gospel, it really sounds like good news to them. They don't just yawn at it. They don't just nod blithely at the news that God has come into the world to save them Uh, to offer his grace to them. They are clear that what they need is not just a little fine-tuning in life. They need a steady supply of grace at every level of their life. And so when they hear the good news of the gospel, they just respond to it in amazing ways. And all across the planet, this is going on in developing countries. The church is explosively growing. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. It just looks just like the book of Acts happening all of these other places where the poor are plentiful. They get the gospel. It means something to them. And then maybe not surprisingly, the seventh and final characteristic I want to touch on, the poor tend to respond to God's call with greater abandonment. When the call of God comes to use what they have to go where he's leading them to go, the poor are more willing to do it. They are willing to leave behind the sheep. They're willing to let go of the nets, as we see in the gospels. Uh, They're willing to follow where God leads them, where Jesus calls them, with much more abandonment because they are less entangled in all of these things. Maybe you can see some of those characteristics 
that are up there on the screen in the lives of the shepherds that we meet in the Christmas story. I, I see a lot of these particular characteristics in these poor men. But more importantly, I want to ask you, can you see these characteristics of poverty in yourself? Can you see these qualities, these orientations in your own life? It's a very important question, really. It really is, because what is being described up there is the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of the heavens that Jesus teaches about. It's what it's all about. The kingdom is about this kind of faith that reaches out to God and, and, and others. It's about the kind of, of humility that sees one in one's proper perspective uh, in the context of life. It's about this this love for relationship. It's about contentment with the things we have. It's about hope and peace that overcomes the pressure to worry and to be anxious. It's about feeling grace and gratitude for all that God has done and is offering to us. And it's about obediently responding to the needs going out in the mission. This is the kingdom of the heavens, and this is what the poor in spirit get at a level that may be deeper than those who are not poor. Can you find even a hunger in yourself to have these experiences, these values and orientations? Can I find that in me? Let me say that it isn't necessary to live in Thailand or China or Africa or South America to get to this place. It doesn't even require necessarily that you move out of the house you're in or the, the life you have. Poverty of spirit can come upon you in other ways, too. I've known people for whom chronic illness does it or facing up to their addictions and how messed up their life really is. That takes them to a place of poverty in spirit. Going through the divorce process, going through the death, of prolonged death of a, of, a, of a loved one can take you closer to it. Being out of work for a very long time or failing spectacularly in front of the world can create poorness of spirit. Getting old in a culture that idolizes youth. Watching all of your former faculties and status just stripped away from you can, can take you there. Letting go of a corporate career for the sake of, of spending day after day, hour after hour, you know, wiping rear ends and noses without an adult conversation can take you to a place of poverty and spirit, chasing after money and power and thrills and getting them and finding that they're not enough can take you to a place where you are poor in spirit. You can even Tim Tebow your way there. You can look around you, carefully assess the field and realize that you're at the bottom a pretty mediocre player. 
And you wouldn't be where you are in life probably if it weren't for the fact that a massive amount of grace has carried you along the way and you're surrounded by other people that are doing their part and and you just give thanks to God that you've been carried thus far. You know you may not have that grace for the next game, but you're grateful nonetheless and you just want to tell everybody you can how good God is. You can get to a poverty in spirit as an NFL quarterback. There are lots of ways to become poor in spirit. The question is, are we? Have we gotten to that place? Michael Crosby writes this. The kingdom of God can only be received by empty hands. The kingdom of God cannot be received by self-sufficient people. And if you study the ministry and teaching of Jesus, you, you get impressed by this. He is out to dismantle self-sufficiency. The notion that we can do it without God. He goes after two kinds of self-sufficiency in particular. He goes after worldly self-sufficiency, the rich young ruler kind, the kind that says, I've got everything. I can secure myself. I don't need anything more. Who needs God? Jesus is out to dismantle that if, we, if he can. Secondly, he is out to address um, religious self-sufficiency, like the Pharisees. I've got my religious patterns. I've got my rituals and systems. I've got my moral um, supremacy. Um, I don't really need God. I don't really need his grace. As author Simon Tugwell puts it, it is really only the poor in spirit who can actually have anything because They're the ones who know how to receive gifts. For them, everything is a gift. Are you living with these kinds of open hands? Once upon a time, the king of the universe bent low. I mean really low. I mean shepherd low. And he came to these very humbled poor people. And he reached out his hand like a king over a peasant. And he said, You matter to me. And he said, You can come to me. And he said, You can be used of me. And with those words, he took those peasants and He made them arise and sent them forth as knights of his kingdom. And you and I, you and I are here today because they went forth with the good news. He today longs with the everlasting longing of God to do the same in your life and in my life. And only one thing is required 
we must be poor enough. We must know we are poor enough to want what he offers. And so he says to you today, if there is self-sufficiency imprisoning you, if self-sufficiency owns you, if it's a worldly self-sufficiency or a religious self-sufficiency, if you don't really think you need much help from me because you can help yourself, empty your hands. Call out to me for my grace. Because if you do, this is what Jesus says to you. Arise, knights, ladies, for you are the blessed ones upon whom my favor rests and my kingdom comes. Amen.